I just checked to make sure my microphone was recording, and it is so. We're sorry. The Lord is not taking calls at this time. If you'd like to listen to a podcast, please remain on the line. In my head, I would love for the music to play on its own as we're doing this, like instead of in post where we edit it in. But it, oh. it, it, it would be nice to like, like tell it gives you your cue. Yeah, it gives you your cue. I have to like in my head produce a cue. Um, anyways, good evening. Good morning. Guten Tag. Uh, what's up? This is the Lord is not taking calls. My name is Nick Streit. I am your friendly agnostic. And with me as always is my buddy, my pal. And he's supposed to introduce himself right now. Well, if you would stop talking, maybe he would. I have mouth diarrhea. What's up, guys? I'm David, and I am your, uh, I guess, your Christian spirit guide into the paths of righteousness. Ooh, mystical. Yeah, that, that's, that's my new self-title. And we got a, uh, we got a new guest today, uh, my buddy Mike Potts. First guest. Um, who, first guest ever. Hey, just a heads up, Mike actually had some audio problems when we were doing this, so he's going to sound like he's on the other end of a phone call with bad reception and he's on speakerphone. And once or twice he actually had to go back and re-record some of the stuff that he said because it got lost. But I promise you, you're going to want to stick around and listen to the whole thing because he's got a lot of really good stuff to say. So, Mike, you're, uh, you're kind of breaking new ground for us. How do you feel about that? I am honored. You know what? You should be. We're happy to have you. Fun fact, uh, Mike and I were actually in a, uh, a sketch comedy troupe together, the uh, Cosmonauts. So, uh, yeah, go Cosmonauts. Still going strong six years later. Dang, I need to see that show. Yeah, you should. You know what? I should have. I was going to do it. I was going to um, I was going to send you a link to a couple of sketches Mike and I did together that you probably would find really funny. Oh, I need those. I need them now. <laughs> yeah, we probably should have done that ahead of time. Could have come up with some good, uh, some good fodder. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, I, I won't, I won't hold it against you. Anyway, so Mike is our, uh, Mike is our bridge today because um, Nick and I are on opposite sides of the fence. I'm a Christian. Nick is an atheist, and uh, Mike at the moment is kind of uh, sitting on the fence. So today we're going to hear from his perspective uh, what you know what things look like from where he is, and you know, just where he kind of sees himself going from here, and how he got to where he is. So. Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, tell us a little bit about just where you're you know where you're coming from and your your basic background. Who are you? What are you? What do you believe? Where are you coming from? Okay, uh, glad glad to get a short question. Um, yes, uh, I'm 40 years old. Just hit 40 last month. The big 40. Um, I think of it as leveling up, so it's you know just a number. But um, <laughs> yeah, I work as a nuclear medicine tech at uh, St. Joe's in Phoenix. Which um, nobody, they don't put that on any of the medical shows, so nobody really knows what it is. Um, they just, you know, show MRI and CT done by doctors, sadly, um, which doesn't happen. <laughs> doctors don't do that kind of work. But basically, we inject radioactive material. So Grey's Anatomy has been lying to us the entire time, basically, yeah? Say what? So Grey's Anatomy has been lying to us the entire time. It has. It is, it is I'm sure, full of lies. Um, also, House complete fabrication, or as a doctor friend of mine said, preposterous. Um, okay, so Mike is here to set the record straight. That's right. 
um, about that. If he prescribes else. Kim Jong Il all the all the all the uranium. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome if we used uranium. We don't. But uh, uh, basically, we uh, inject we inject isotopes and then we take very fuzzy pictures and very learned men with MD after their name uh, interpret it and then they go do stuff to the people who've taken the pictures up to hopefully cure them of whatever they have. Um, <clears throat> that's what I do that pays the bills. As far as passion goes, I'm a novelist, unpublished as of yet, but I have written several novels over the years. Me too. And I well, none, but I... me too. <laughs> <laughs> and me I three, recently, sort of. Recently uh, took up photography as like a full part-time kind of thing. So, nice. That's um, what I do. Those are like my two my two passions when I'm not um, working and or podcasting. And cool. then so I we're have... basically we're all a bunch of failed writers. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, hey! Awesome. I do that for a living. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Yeah, you write for uh, what was it again? A cleaning company. <laughs> a cleaning company. Yes. So you you are a success story among the writers. I can't say that with a straight face. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Mike. We cut you off. Go on. No problem. That's what the editing button is for. As far as, um, as far as religious background, um, there was none in my household growing up. Um, I think you know we did the weddings and funerals thing when people got married or you know died. We end up at a church or a graveside where some guy with a white collar would say some stuff that you know most of us were just kind of okay, yeah, whatever. So uh, family-wise, not much background. So I hit 20 and did the whole like you know teenage rebellion thing late, um, <laughs> which you know of course you know I said oh well yeah I'm an agnostic but because I figured that sounded a little more enlightened but I. To be fair, I think I was an atheist. And then about 10 years ago, I'm going, you know what? If I'm not going to believe this stuff, I should at least read it. Um, so yeah. in the last 10 years, I have sporadically gone through periods where I will, you know, I read the Bible cover to cover. I read the, the Quran, the Tao Te Ching, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And I had a couple more I was going to plow through, and I just sort of got tired of reading religious texts. Um, but I've also read several uh, books on both sides of the spectrum. Um, a couple of times, and nothing just ever really clicked as far as that went. Like nothing really just jumped out at me that you know as a really compelling argument in favor of there being, you know, be it Judaism or Christianity or anything. I liked the Eastern religions because they were more like philosophies. Um, yeah, and they're you know they're fairly inoffensive. Um, I think that's what a lot of people find attractive about Eastern religions is that they they're, they're less demanding than Western religions. It, oh, it is a lot more about philosophy. That's, that's not true. What? That's not true. No. Confucianism is very demanding. How so? There, there, there's so many rituals and like 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 pe- things you have to do. I don't quite remember it exactly. I just know that there's a lot of things you have to say that are ritualistic in nature, in regards to. Uh, the whole like how Confucianism works it's where a lot of the whole respect in, in, in a lot of Asian cultures comes from is Confucianism uh, I won't go into it because that's another episode but yeah Eastern religions can be very demanding in their own right oh sorry anyways being being from a Western culture we don't recognize that because we know virtually nothing about anything outside exactly. our borders yeah that's a good point so you know they seem very appealing because you know you meet somebody who's you know our our 
our experience comes from, you know, Kung Fu movies where you've got that <laughs> Zen master who's just, you know, oh, and he just spends all day stroking his beard. And, you know, somebody's like, dude, we got to go do this. And he's like, do you know what? We, we knew nothing. We just, you know, the grasshopper on, you know, down on the leaf, you know, whatever. And so it's all, like, that's our, that's our perspective of Eastern religion. So it seems inoffensive and, you know, relatively undemanding. But, um, you know, whereas over here it's, you know, you've got to do this or, you know, you're going to burn in hell forever. Um, which is, you know, just really a big turn off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in fact, uh, uh, honestly, the one of the biggest roadblocks to, well, certainly for me early on, um, was just the fact that uh, a lot of the churches don't do themselves any favors, and a lot of Christians almost seem to go out of their way just to be difficult. Yeah. Um, uh, which, you know sort of boggles the mind because being Christian they're not supposed to be. But fortunately I've met a handful along the way, including David, um, who reflect very well on their faith. Um, and don't go around just like, you know, rubbing it in your face and like every post on Facebook is, you know, oh Jesus, it's wonderful. Dude, I cannot With, even tell you, you know, that annoys me so much. Mm-hmm. Like the the people like the Christians who can't talk about anything other than being Christians those are some of the most annoying people I know. I've had to unfollow several of family friends who just were constantly inundating me with with with, with stuff the Lord hath said, and I was like, "Did he have to say that though?" <laughs> Whoa, that's that dude. That's what the devil said, man. Watch yourself. <laughs> yeah. Did he have to say that, dude? Where art thou, my thou car? <laughs> dude, where art thou car? Oh man. All right. All right, um, Mike, go on. Sorry. That's all right. Um, but then uh, recently I had a sort of couple uh, moments um, that kind of made me jump back into it, um, reread, reread a couple of old books that uh, hadn't made a lot of sense before, but kind of made more sense this time. Um, so uh, I'm just, I'm just trying. I'm, I don't know where I'm headed with this. Ultimately, I've always kind of, you know, walked up to the fence and peered over the other side, and you know, then I was, you know, kind of from the agnostic side. Now, then I was, you know, sort of standing on the wall, and now I kind of feel like I'm on the wall, and somebody pushed me, and I'm kind of falling towards the other side, but not quite. So, nail on the razor's edge at this point, as far as it goes. Okay. What was it that you uh, that you read this time around that seemed to make a little bit more sense or struck you a little bit differently? Well, uh, I probably should back up just a little bit. Um, two things. One, I had an experience a couple months ago, and then I read a book recently that sort of pushed things into perspective from the other side. Um, throughout my life, part of the other problem has been that, you know, I, I, I can't I, – you think I'd remember where it was. I mean, I, I was in the car with my mom. I was probably – not and got the whole you know i asked her the is saying a real question um and suspecting the answer and she said well do you really want to know and i said yes she said no he's not real no the easter bunny nor is the tooth fairy nor you know any of that stuff um wait tooth fairy's not real no apparently not <gasps> uh i don't know what to do with this right now yeah i know where are my teeth what Hate to be the one to break it to you on a podcast of all places, but um, I need some time to compose myself right now. Well, if you take a moment, I'll just keep rambling. <sighs> okay. So to me, logically, since we had never, there wasn't a faithful background, God was just sort of part and parcel with all that, you know, fantasy nonsense. Mm-hmm. So you know, any any possibility of getting me at that point 
out the window because I had never experienced anything beyond the five senses. Yeah. Um, the closest I've come to that was deja vu because I know there have been moments where I've you know had 30 seconds of, okay, I've done that before. It's always worthless junk. Mm-hmm. But I was able to identify it as being from dreams that I had had a couple days before, usually within three days. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so that gave me a sense that, you know, okay, there's something about time or how reality works such that, you know, my brain occasionally is able to proceed beyond it. Nothing useful like a lottery number, but <laughs> there seems to be, from my perception, the possibility of there being at least a limited, you know, lock-in of the future. Um, okay, so you think that uh, you think that deja vu is actually an objective thing about reality and not something weird that just your brain is doing? Uh, well, given that I've had moments that I distinctly remember dreaming, um, it means there's either something faulty with my memory, which is possible, uh, although it's been consistent my whole life. And I it's used the Matrix. To, I used to have a, yeah, yeah, never involved a black cat, but, um, and then, um, there are some people I know who have a little bit of a sixth sense, if you will. If we go into some, like if, uh, if we are around a place like Stonehenge, they'll feel sort of weight and energy changes. Okay. Uh, we've been to some, some haunt, some haunted hotels and, uh, you know, have been able to perceive differences in temperature or a sense as to where, you know, we should be looking before the guide says, and if you look over there, that's where they, you know, have seen such and such a ghost before. Um, I completely agree with you on the whole deja vu thing. That's my point of view as well. I, I have deja vu all the time. And I was like, I totally dreamed this moment right now. I know what's going to happen next. And I, and, and I swear to God, that's mm-hmm. just what it is. See, I've gotten deja vu a lot too in my life, but I've never really been aware of it until after it already happens. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't acknowledge it or I don't perceive it until I'm already past it. It's like, yep, that was a moment that happened. But and it's never moments that I dreamed. It's just you know moments that I felt like I experienced before. It's just that was a moment, and this continually, this continuing moment is something that I feel like I've experienced before. And yet we're still not out of it, you know. And that and this thought process also. But it's never been now. I know what's going to happen next. It's like I don't recognize. That's what I was looking for. I don't. <clears throat> I don't recognize it for what it is until I'm already past it. You know. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That's where the lines of science blur for me because I'm like, I swear I've dreamed this before, and I totally believe it. And see, for me, I recognize it when the deja vu starts, not after it's finished. So I go into it. I enter the moment. I'm going okay, and now this will happen, and that'll happen, and he's going to say that, yeah. and it happens exactly. Oh wow! And yeah, that's exactly that's exactly how that happened. How that happens to me. I'll, I'll get. I'll be in a moment. Um, short story. I was at a concert when I was 17, and I was I was after I was at I was at the after party at a show, and um, and the, it, there was the whole everybody was bathed in red light from the from the venue, and there was a little person there, and I was like I was like wait a second I had this dream the other night, and, and like I, I've told this story several times, and I'm like. That little person really stuck out in my mind, and I'm like, when will I ever have an experience where there's a little person bathed in red light with my friends there after a show? And it happened, and I was like, all right, this is weird. Uh, I'm just going to continue to go about my business. Okay. That's trippy. Yeah. It must have been that – so- that sounds really kind of surreal. Yeah. It is. So, M- Mike, you were, you were saying you, you, you're, you were about to go in a bit of a go- ghost – stuff what scooby-doo adventure are we going on here now uh partner 
Well, um, so about about a year ago, um, one of my wife's aunts passed, and I she went down and saw her aunt before before she passed, and we hadn't been back since. But September we did the East Coast travel thing to go see extended family, and our first stop was uh, my wife's grandmother's, where her aunt grew up. And I usually end up taking a nap every day because partway through the afternoon I just kind of crash, and if I don't, I can't function the rest of the day. So. They know this, and after an appropriate amount of time, I excuse myself, lay down on the couch. Well, I woke up, and my wife's aunt was sitting at the end of the couch. As and this, oh, wow. for those of you who've had you know a lot of dream experience, you'll know that there's a big difference between having a dream where you wake up and go, "Oh, it seemed real while I was dreaming it," but you wake up and then you go, "Well, it, it felt like a dream, really." This was the other kind. Yeah. Yeah. This was the kind where, yeah, a, akin to a lucid dream, where you wake up, you realize you're dreaming, but you don't leave it, and everything feels as real as real life, um, mm. even while you're doing okay. it. And I've had yeah. lucid dreams over the years. This one, I, I did not immediately realize it was a dream, but it, it felt that real. And so I sat up and I touched her, and she felt real to the touch. And I said to her, do you want me to tell the people in the kitchen anything? And she just smiled and didn't say anything. So I got up, went to the kitchen, and this is where I realized I was dreaming because the layout and the people were wrong. So I woke up again on the couch where I was. Sue, the Rachel's aunt was still there. Again, I was able to touch her and I said, is there anything you want me to tell them? She smiled. I went up to the kitchen in my, what turned out to be the dream, took my spouse by the arm, took her into the sofa uh, living room, and in the dream, she did not perceive that her aunt was there. But at that point, I, I woke up for real, and I didn't say anything because I'm like, all right, that was way too weird. Um, so I just didn't say anything. Driving back to the hotel that night, I asked my spouse, I said, did you get any kind of a sense of anything while we were there? Um, because occasionally, and my wife doesn't like me talking about this too much because she is a skeptic, a very strong skeptic. But both she and her, her father have had experiences over the years that they're going, look, this is what I experienced. I'm not explaining it. I'm not claiming anything, but this is what I felt. And she said, I thought I saw my aunt out of the corner of my eye. I thought I felt her there. And I said, was that about the time I was asleep? She said, yeah. So I told her about the dream. Uh -huh. And now, again, neither of us make any claims. We're not saying anything is the way anything is, but... I went, look, I've got my deja vu experience. I know that to a degree when we, when we dream, 95% of this is brain dump. But there's time, at times we go other places. And actually in the, if memory serves, in the Islamic tradition, um, a lot of the times when the prophets, major and minor, saw God or angels, they, it wasn't, it, was it wasn't with their eyes. It was in a, in a elevated dream slash hypnotic state. Uh, mm -hmm. because for the, and again, I, I might be remembering this wrong, but it stuck out at me at the time that for them, the, the spirit world is seen not with the physical eyes, but with, with the brain. And the, so I have this, I had this notion already from the deja vu that when we sleep, we sometimes go somewhere else and it's not just the brain kind of getting rid of the junk from the day that with my, I think I personally feel that my wife has a bit of a sixth sense, regardless of you know, how she feels about it. And I've, I've experienced other people who have different experiences, too. So 
some people are able to see beyond and feel beyond the five senses. So between these two things, I had to say, okay, this could be written off as it was a dream. And of course, she felt something. She was in, you know, the place where, you know, the, where the family grew up. Of course, she's going to feel something. But <clears throat> I've always had a sense that there was something more. And I just never knew sort of what or how to subscribe to it. And, um, you know, the, the organized religions are most of the time the major turnoff. So you just kind of you know, shy away from it because you don't want to be lumped in with those those people. <laughs> but I had to accept that on some level this might have been real. I might have actually seen Rachel Dawn post the mortal coil. So that got me thinking. And then the other one, the other thing, and this was from the book I read, um, and this will sound a little silly, but bear me out. Um, we occasionally, silly is my middle name. <laughs> we occasionally will um, watch a scary movie. Um, you know, usually at night with the lights out and then, you know, go, well, that was stupid. Why'd we do that? Um, but last year we watched, uh, The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2, which are like, you know, like many things based on real events. Um, and at the time I just did a quick Wikipedia search and, you know, the article basically said, yeah, you know, it's all been debunked. They're not, whatever. Um, and I didn't look any further. Well, this year we watched the Annabelle prequels, which were about, you know, possessed doll that, um, the same people had investigated, and it was like the prequels. And I said, okay, well, let me let me look a little deeper than Wikipedia. And there's a book that the Conjuring movies are based on called The Demonologist. And it was written about 1980, and it's about the real-life people in the movie, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who uh, spent, like, from the 1940s onward, um, investigating haunted houses, people that supposedly thought they had ghosts or demons, you know, after them. Um, and, um, uh, I came away after having read it and went, okay, there's a lot in here that sounds consistent with things that I, that other people have told me and have encountered. So, you know, part of all this is when you're, when you're researching, you look for patterns and the patterns were consistent. And these stories that came out of this book, I'm going, okay, either, you know, these were things that made headlines. Um, most people know of the Amityville horror. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was, that was the case in the seventies that put the, the Warrens, you know, sort of most in the spotlight. That was their like most infamous case that they were involved with. Um, after the haunting, after the Lutzes had left the house. And so I'm reading through this and I'm going, okay, two possibilities. One, it's a very well fabricated series of stories, which are scary as hell. And everybody was in on the joke. Um, except that these people actually like left their houses, had weird stuff happen with, you know, Annabelle. Um, there was a big haunting in England that the second Conjuring movie was based upon, you know, and everybody. So, and in many cases, it really screwed up these people's lives. So basically, if it was a joke, they really committed to it, like hardcore method. If it was a joke, like you have a troop of actors that have just like sold themselves to like, this will be our crowning achievement. <laughs> um, you know, the, big, the biggest viral accomplishment in history. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, and this was in the 70s, um, you know, before we had really viral stuff. Yeah. So from, and one of the key things in it was not just the fact that, you know, a lot of scary stuff was happening, but Ed Warren, who was one of, I think, seven demonologists in the country at that time, the other six all being Catholic priests, 
Um, different from exorcists. Exorcists is different. They're the ones that actually come in and get rid of the demon. So what does a what does a demonologist do if they're not getting rid of the demon? Basically, ascertains whether or not this is a bona fide um, oppression. And then they talk shit to it quietly. So if, if somebody says, you know, hey, I think I've got this going on. This is weird, and they'll go, they'll check it out. Um, if it seems like an actual, you know, if it fits the pattern, if the description, you know, matches, then they would then, you know, approach their contacts in, in the church and arrange for it to be taken care of. Okay, so they don't actually do any exorcisms then? Uh, not as such, although um, Ed participated in most, Ed participates in most of them. Um, and he, part of because Ed himself was not clairvoyant. His wife was, but he wasn't. So in order to, for, for them to be able to tell the difference between it being a human spirit, which the way you solve that is you just get a, a reputable clairvoyant, and a lot of times Lorraine could do it herself. Uh, but if not, then you know, they'd get another medium to kind of help out. They contact the human spirit and say, look, you're dead, you need to go. And the human spirit goes away. Um, if it's not human, then it's something inhuman. And, you know... Um, at that point, it's not going to go away. And Ed will go around and he'll, you know, throw holy water and he'll invoke God and Jesus because he's Catholic. Um, so he uses Catholic stuff, although every faith has their own ritual for it. Indeed they do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he will provoke and he will, you know, hold up. And because these spirits really hate God, um, they pretty much have to, they're compelled to react because you know, out of hatred for, for any sort of religious symbolism or anything. So at that point, if he can provoke a reaction, that will sort of steal the proof. And if, if the warrant went to the church and said, look, this is real, then the church takes it seriously and will, you know, do what they have to do to help. And Ed, even in the book, Ed is quoted as saying, he's like, look, I'm not necessarily making any claims. He's like, I'm just telling you, we encounter these, <clears throat> whatever they are, they are very powerful very hate-filled, and for whatever reason, they really don't like God, Jesus. Um, he's like, I believe that they are the fallen because I'm Catholic. He's like, but I'm not a Bible thumper. You know, I'm not going to tell you what to believe. I'm just telling you what I've experienced over 50 years. Something that you brought up um, a couple times was um, was consistency, and that was, uh, I think that's always a really important point to uh, to bring into place, consistency in whatever it is that uh whatever whatever belief you're espousing and whatever whatever viewpoint you're trying to study are they are they being consistent with um you know what they're saying and and what they're what they're preaching or whatever and much like that dodgy bible that's changed over several thousand years well that's that's debatable depending on <laughs> yeah that's, well that, that that's too long to get into but we'll we'll, we'll get into that oh, yeah. at the time oh but, eventually <laughs> yeah, of that's, that's a whole that's a whole other podcast that's like a week's worth of podcasts but mm -hmm. um so, but Mike, you said um, when we uh, when we talked before um, the other day, you mentioned that uh, you had you had listened you had listened to the podcast the other the previous episodes, and you listened to uh, the episode we did about about exorcism. How how does that line up with what you learned um, what you learned about exorcism or demonology and exorcism from reading uh, those books? Is it was it consistent with with what you already had heard? Your your experience, and I, I should we should add in that um, I did read your written account of what happened too, because mm -hmm. I wanted I wanted to see how it lined up. Yeah. And um, you know, now I want to be very clear in saying that I've read two whole books on you know this 
phenomenon, one of which was The Demonologist, and the other one was a book um, by Father Amorph, who was for many, many years the chief exorcist in the Vatican. Okay. And um, there's some differences of opinion between what he says about things and what Ed says about things, but the, the, the differences are sort of secondary. Um, the overall picture that they paint between the two of them, and, you know, one, one is an American Catholic, and the other one is, you know, an Italian, um, I'm not sure if he was a bishop or a cardinal or how high he reached, but he was, you know, a, a, a chief exorcist, and he spends most of his book chastising the Catholic Church for not taking it seriously, um, as well as some of his colleagues. He's like, yeah, some of my colleagues, you know, just look down on me because I'm doing exorcisms. Um, he's like, but this is a real thing, and people need to take this, you know, our people need to take this stuff seriously. It's not medieval. It's still happening. Um, and, you know, the Warrens are saying it's still happening today, too. That just happened to be a spike in the 70s because everybody was dabbling in the occult because they thought it was cute. And a fact. Are, they, are they still, are those people still alive? The Warren, no, uh, Ed Warren died, I think, about 10 years ago of natural causes, I think. He was just old because he'd been born in, like, 1920. Uh, Lorraine might still be alive, but she's, you know, got to be ancient at this point because, again, she'd be 90-some. Um, yeah. And Father Amorth, I think, I think he died, again, the book I read of his was from 94. So these, unfortunately, you know, you like this, uh, you know, uh, relatively speaking, they're from within my lifetime, which is not bad. Um, they're not within the last five or ten years, uh, those books. But now, to get back to David's question, so having read those two, um, and just uh, the patterns that I've seen over the years and these two books that I've read, um, what David described is very consistent with what I've read. Okay. That's not to say that he necessarily exercised this woman. You know, she may have just been, unfortunately, batshit crazy, but this particular approach worked. However, it is consistent. And a lot of what you have to do, I think, when you're investigating the spiritual realm and the faith, because there isn't proof either way. There isn't. Mm -hmm. You have to just look at the evidence and then make a leap of faith one way or the other. So this to me was, okay, again, I have to consider this as real. And so it got me started back in um, <clears throat> reading some of the books I had read before. Um, I just finished rereading um, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, which a lot of people know. And I'd read it twice before and it just didn't do anything for me at all. That's one I need to get to. That's interesting. Wait, you read it twice before and uh, and what happened? It, it didn't do anything for me. Like it just didn't. You kind of you, you sweep it aside. It didn't resonate. It was written by belie a believer for believers, and so it just seemed like a lot of apologetics. You know, like oh, you know, hey guys, rah rah rah. You know, yay Jesus <laughs> and stuff. He's real, really. A lot of bias in there. Well, I mean, it was written by it was written by a believer after he had been converted by all the after he had been converted from atheism by all the stuff that he discovered in his investigation because he was an investigative journalist. This is true. However, when he wrote it. He had become a believer, and he wrote it like a believer, and yeah. it's a big, it's a big turnoff. Okay, it, frankly, it's just it's a big turnoff. This you, time, you, I you basically could get some brainwash in there, and that kind of that would kind of fuck with you. Post recording interruption. The great part about editing the episodes is that I always get the last word. So, real quick, I've heard these criticisms of the case for Christ before, and they always seemed illogical to me. 
First of all, any persuasive writing is biased by nature, so if bias automatically discredits writing, then no persuasive writing is ever credible and we would never read anything that's trying to convince us of something. Second of all, though Strobel wrote the case for Christ as a believer, the information that he presents in it is the exact stuff he discovered as an atheist that caused him to become a believer in the first place. So, to me, the fact that he was a believer when he wrote it shouldn't have any bearing on how seriously you take it. Well, he was trying to make it, um, you know, dramatic by saying, you know, hey, in the courtroom, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, like, this is the same way. Like, so he was trying to make it out to be like this dramatic, you know, research, investigative thing that he did. And I just feel that as, an, as a creative approach, I feel it failed, um, at least for people of my ilk. However, okay. this time I went back and read it in like two days and I skimmed over all the junk and went straight to the interviews with the people who were the experts and made extensive notes. And I'm going and whatever what else it helped is I had written I had read another book a little while back, um, The Case for Jesus by Brant Pitchford. And he he was he, he grew up Christian, but when he went to college, you know, he got those professors that are like, Yeah, it's all bullshit, but we're gonna go through it anyway. <laughs> um, you know, because it was like a religious history thing. So it kind of, you know, knocked him on his faith bum a little bit. And um, so he decided, well, the only thing to do is just become a PhD of, of you know, religion and figure it out myself. So he, he basically did that. And then he wrote this book about the Gospels and how you can date them to these dates because of this reason. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, it's 2000 years old, so you can't really prove any of it. It's all just you know, can you, how well can you argue it? Yeah. But he made a very compelling argument. Um, and it was the first one that I sort of looked at and went, okay, there may actually be something here. So having been armed with that, when I reread Strobel's book, I went into it knowing what Pitry had written, and it was consistent with what Pitry had written. So basically it was a second, a second source for me that said basically the same thing. A book I had read sort of from the other side um, a couple of years ago that had really stuck with me uh, was Zealot by Reza Aslan. Um, he was, uh, he when he was a child, he found uh, Jesus at a summer camp or something. And when he grew up and started to question it a bit, it, it sort of fell apart for him a little bit. Um, and he returned to his uh, Muslim roots because his family had been um, Iranian and I think had fled here during the revolution in 79 period. Uh, they had not been particularly religious themselves at the time, but uh, he needed something, found Jesus, later um, decided Islam was more for him. He did marry a Christian, and I think some of his other family members may have um, become Christians too, I can't recall. But uh, you probably remember him from Fox News a few years ago when his book came out. They were raking him over the coals for being a Muslim, writing a book about Jesus, and, you know, how could anybody possibly care about or read that? So, but I've started rereading his book again, because now that I've, you know, reread Scribble's book, I want to read the other side again and just see how it matches up. And I'm having, I've only gotten through the intro in, in the chapter one, but he's already come up with a couple of things that I'm going uh, you've kind of taken that out of context. So I'm going in where, like I said, the last two times I read the book, I'm like, no, this just really speaks to me. This makes so much more sense than, than the Christian perspective. I'm going into it this time and I'm going, uh, you're going to have to convince me, dude, because I'm, I'm, I'm starting to fall off the fence onto the other side a little bit, I think. So that's, that's kind of where I am. And I'm not sure 
I don't know if it's a combination of just I've hit a certain point in life and, you know, there's been some uh, sort of re-examining it differently because, you know, we've hit the big 40, which I hate to sound like a cliche, but, you know, it's kind of, it kind of, uh, there's been a couple of things that have happened in my life in the last two years too that have kind of had to make me reevaluate uh, priorities, perspectives, and, and whatnot. And then, like I said, with the, the recent sort of one-two punch of maybe encountering a, a human spirit and then, you know, having to possibly accept the fact that there are at least these malevolent forces that, you know, even if we don't, they sure do believe in God or really hate him for some reason. And again, why hate something that doesn't exist? But it helped me to look for past. Are these consistent with each other? If there are deviations, are they important deviations? Do they affect the message or the overall key point? And this falls on both sides. Um, you know, the, the book that I read, um, by, by Strobel and, uh, Pitry say that the gospels could be dated, you know, Mark could be dated as early as, you know, the year 60. Whereas, you know, Reza's book is saying, oh, you know, probably not until the 80s, not, you know, sometime. Um, there's, a, you know, like a whole generation of gap there, but they both, so it's like, well, there's an inconsistency. So, you know, that's something I'm going to have to look at a little more closely at some point. Um, and, you know, I think that's one of the key differences is, is that if you are a believer, you're more inclined to believe the, that they came earlier. And I, I feel there's a good argument for that. Um, but, you know, Reza is claiming, although he's claimed sort of without data to back it up, that, you know, it's almost unanimous that these were dated later, you know, the 80s, the 90s, and then John was like one, you know, 115 AD. Um, which again, these dates are all 20 years later. But the key point is here is look for patterns. Look for consistency. Um, and then it comes, I think ultimately, you know, it's going to come down to at some point, I'm just going to have to make a leap one way or the other because I'm not going to be able to prove it either way. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. The Lord will return shortly, so we encourage you to call again.